Welcome to the Making Laps Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Making Laps Podcast. My name is Brent Gleason. Along with me is co-host Phil Jakes by phone because it's a lot easier to do this by phone than making the hour trip south to my house. And who wants to hang out at my house anyway, right? Hour and a half. It's an hour and a half now? Oh, geez. I thought it used to be. Oh, no. It's an hour to your old race shop. That's what it was. See, yep. I'm, or no. Yeah, well, you know, the way I drive, it's not an hour. But the way you but yeah. the way you drive, it's an hour. So <laughs> Phil drives like my grand. Well, not like my grandma. She was a lead foot, too. Uh, I won't go into that. Anyway, uh, you can find this podcast on really any major podcast platform. I mean, Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. Uh, I can't even pronounce half of them because my platform told me, hey, we put you on all these platforms. And I'm like, okay, great. That means everybody can listen to me. So if there's one out there that we don't know about it, we're probably on it. Oh, my God. There's one. I think there's one like called Radio Public and stuff. And I'm like, I didn't even know these things existed. I mean, no <laughs> disrespect to any of them because I have a, I have an iPhone. And it's like I just click an app on my phone and I can listen to whatever I want because it's one of the most popular platforms or I have Spotify and it's like if you have any sort of interest in podcasts there's millions of places to find them so whatever I mean hey more more uh, places to find us the better uh, you can find us on Instagram at making laps podcast facebook.com slash making laps podcast I swear I'll I'll get around to fixing the Twitter thing I want to make the show a little bit lighter because I feel like I'm a very boring and stuffy person. So I was really no comment. <laughs> no comment. Yeah, I am kind of. I am. I I understand. I am boring. It's a miracle I'm married that I found somebody to actually put up with me. But I I work for, let's just say the government, and the only big thing in the news about the government right now is is sick people and the coronavirus. So every time I see like something come through the mail from well, okay so that just gave it away i work for the post office so if i see something come through the mail from like wish or something i'm definitely wearing my rubber gloves and i'm really paranoid about it but it's like um i don't think anybody in connecticut has it yet what about massachusetts you got anything up there i haven't heard anything here i did hear today that there was uh an issue down in rhode island potentially but i don't know uh, about that, but I'm excited to find out because I'm going to be working in Rhode Island in the next eight days. I, I haven't seen this much panic about something since uh, Ebola never showed up. Yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> I have my opinions on it, but uh, I'll I, keep some of those to myself because they may get me in more trouble than it's worth. When, I mean, when I see something happen every election year, when it's always something different, it always originates from Asia for some reason, and it has a death rate of less than 2%, I'm really not that frightened by it and just woefully not interested it's not going to change what i normally do i normally don't like touch my face or mouth or anything and i always wash my hands whenever i go out in public it's just a common practice for me so it's like not even worth me getting worked up over the the only corona that it's going to be in my house is me sitting in the chair with a beer you're not even a beer guy are you no i'm not i drink whiskey nah. probably too much whiskey but <laughs> It's all right. The alcohol will cleanse your system and you will never get the coronavirus. So don't worry about it. It's all good. There you go. So I've been watching this show on Motor Trend On Demand. And if anybody out there is a gearhead, you have to 
I don't, is it still called Motor Trend on Demand, or is it just called Motor Trend now? I don't even remember. It, well, you can you can log on to it anywhere, but it, all I know it as is uh, Motor Trend on Demand. I don't know if you can get it on TV too, or don't they have a Motor Trend channel now? Because I yes, have... they do. That's I think it was the old Velocity channel. I'm not 100 percent sure. I believe it was because I can flip through my uh, YouTube TV because I got internet TV. And I have an MT logo pop up, and I'm like, huh, I can watch, you know, whatever's on that channel. A lot of the, yep. the custom car building shows that I give absolutely no craps about. I'm like, oh, they're all the same. But um, if you're Come not, on, you can watch Street Outlaws, the, the real street racing. Come on. Real street racing, huh? Yeah. I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured real street racing was kids with, like, really garbage... Honda Civics with fart can mufflers racing in between lights and like hitting sidewalks. I have a name for that, but it's not politically correct, so I'll leave it out. I don't really care about political correctness. You think the 10 people who listen to this thing really give a damn either? <laughs> I, I used to be an import guy, but I call that the Puerto Rican Grand Prix now. I mean, I can't disagree, but I mean, I, at the same time, I will disagree because I know oh, I went to school with all white kids in Norwich Free Academy, semi-private high school, and they all had them too. So it's <laughs> it transcends all race and genders. Um, but no, if if you are a gearhead or like a fan of cars at all, and you're not willing to spend five dollars a month to get Motor Trend, just do it because if if you can buy a coffee once a week, you can buy Motor Trend. Um, five, I could find five dollars on the sidewalk walking down the street in a month. I mean, come on. But they have a show called NASCAR All-In Battle for Daytona, and it, it uh, covers Corey LaJoy, Austin Dillon, and Tyler Reddick, and their uh, weeks leading up to and during the Daytona Speed Weeks from this season. And I'm getting through all the episodes, and basically the next one that's going to be up, I forget when they release it. I don't know if it's weekly. It might be because they changed their release program uh, for episodes. It used to be like every every show they had would do once a month, but now they do it like in like blocks. Rapid like, fire succession. Yeah, like if you had like Roadkill Garage or any of those shows like uh, Dirt Every Day or Hot Rod Garage or anything like that, they used to do them once a month. But now they record 12 episodes of it and they rec- and they like release them in 12 week segments. I don't really like it because I was really used to watching one a month and kind of looking forward to it, but now you can just kind of binge everything at once. Uh, whatever, you're still getting the same amount of episodes. You just got to wait longer for it. When did they start doing that? This year. Like they just started it. I think Roadkill is going to release once a month still, I think they said. I think that's the like one of the only shows that they have that's going to release once monthly still. But all the rest of them went to a 12-week block format. I, I don't get it. It must be something where they have, like, recording issues and they want to try to keep people, like, they would. They want to allow the guys to be able to spend time with family, so they just record chunks and then they can just let them do their own thing or make appearances or do whatever. But anyway, there's obvious reasoning behind it, and I'm not very good at accounting, so I don't know those reasons. But this show, NASCAR All In, Battle for Daytona, I just told you about, you got to watch it. The production value is fantastic. Um, and the stories that they're telling, but I, I mean, you, you look at those three drivers and think, well, the story is not going to be very compelling, but then you watch it and you're hooked. Oh, absolutely. I was hooked from the first five minutes of the first episode. I know everybody's like, Oh, why did they pick Corey LaJoy? But you watch it and it's like the dude's a personality. 
Like, he has a great personality. He's really good at what he does off the track, which is working with his father building race car seats and, and other accessories. He's a very talented fabricator. He's a, very, he's a really talented driver, too, to be honest. But the level of drama that they've built into this show with the, uh, the way they filmed it and the way they tell the stories of the three drivers and all three of them, well, Reddick just had a, a child. The other two are expecting children, and so there's a real family dynamic into it. And like I said, if you're not uh, if you're not subscribed to this yet, sometimes they run deals where it would be like two or three bucks a month for a trial period. Go check it out. It's called NASCAR All In Battle for Daytona. It's on Motor Trend On Demand. It's really awesome. You got to check it out. Uh, it's really starting to get good too. So binge it. Let's see. I'll, I'll update the people on my car for the New Hampshire race. Um, we're making some steady progress. Um, I consider power tools to make up for an extra man in my garage because <laughs> it really makes up makes a lot of my uh, job easier if I'm using them. But I've got like one part left. I'm still waiting on for the engine. I think I said that last week. Um, then the engine should be done. I should get that put together and broken in soon. Uh, I've got all the parts coming for the exhaust, so that'll be done. I finally got that to fit. That was a real mess. Yeah, um, I remember you telling me about that. Oh, it was terrible. Um, I had to do some things that were really creative, and I hope <laughs> and I hope well within the rules, but I didn't see it in the rules, so hopefully it'll work. Um, I got the whole front suspension swapped out to, to all my good go-fast bits that I wasn't using, and I put that in air quotes uh, from when I raced at Thompson. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm really trying to move forward. It's, it's going good. I, I'm really trying to get this done quickly so that I can get my truck done because I don't have the money to pay somebody to rebuild my transmission in my truck and i have a 97 dodge 2500 cummins and as anybody knows if you have an automatic in one of those they will die and yeah mine is dying so um it was cheap that's why i bought it i don't care if it's an automatic go crap on me for not buying a manual but you couldn't buy one for less than half of what i bought mine for so um yeah anything going on with you phil i'm gonna leave the floor open for you at least once not really right now just uh accumulating some parts that i need for the new car and uh i think i'm going to be going down to florida in may to to bring my belongings and my life on a trailer uh down there for when i do move probably that's going to happen this fall uh but i think we're gonna get the car together and potentially uh go race one night at new smyrna with it just to get me some laps get some comfort and never driven anything quite like that so it'll be a challenge and just looking forward to getting in the in the car again it's been a while yeah i mean you're in a good situation with your job and stuff that you can move and it's it's it make it it would make moving a lot easier my my situation is not easy to move i would have to find somebody to transfer with me like mutually so yeah you're in a good situation for that but yeah buying a house or or moving like that takes a lot longer than expected and uh, so oh, that's, absolutely. that's a tough deal, but it, it'll, like I said, it all works out in the end if you work hard enough at it. So yeah, it'll be worth it when we're, when I'm down there and everything's all set. So I'm looking forward to it. And the last item of business that I noticed was a uh, Facebook post done by the modified racing series where they showed a picture of work being completed or well being ongoing at the speed bowl. Uh, they showed some large cement trucks and some men, 
uh, leveling out some concrete pads for some grandstands, and I think that's awesome. I mean, they're they should be right on schedule for their opening date. Uh, I hope that this goes well. Maybe they'll even be a little early. Who knows? I don't want to say it out loud. Well, I just did say it out loud, but I don't want to. I don't want to count chickens <laughs> yet. But um, hopefully, it all works out for them. I'm I'm pulling for them. I hopefully will be attending some races there this year. I don't think I have in the last few years. I mean, except for the time that they were closed for a year, we're not counting that, but, um, so yeah, all, all best of luck to those guys. Yeah. But I'm excited to see what everything looks like down there. The only thing I'm, I'm kind of wondering is I've heard, uh, some, I guess, potential plans. I don't know if they're official, uh, about what they're going to do about the concessions and the, the tower. And I'm, I'm just curious to see, or excited to see, but curious to see how that comes out. I think it'll all be good. I think whatever they do, it'll work out and people, it'll be a a little bit of a a process for people to get used to it. But I think once they're used to it and the nostalgia of the old times and how it used to be wears off then it'll be fine. I think they'll be all right with it. All right. So why don't we move into lap number one? For lap number one this week, we're going to talk about Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park and their icebreaker getting a title sponsor from a company called Liquid Death Mountain Water. Uh, I believe they're also going to sponsor the Whalen Modified Tour race that's going to be happening that weekend. And I've seen these ads on Facebook for this stuff, and it looks kind of amusing. And uh, I believe they took the little skull that's on the uh, can of those uh, products and they incorporated yep. it into the little, um, what do you call it? The icebreaker logo where the guy is like frozen and he's got his hands on the wheel. It's an iconic uh, logo. Yeah, I think it was pretty clever marketing right there. And uh, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't really know um, much about those folks except for what I've seen on Facebook. I mean, do you know anything about this company except for basically it's a internet-based startup type <laughs> type of deal? I haven't heard a word about them. I've I've seen people drinking their product, but I've never never looked into them, never tried it, never I mean I only went to the website for the first time when I saw the announcement the other day, so Yeah, I I've seen um the the Facebook ads where they're like, "Oh yeah, we have a program where if you sell your soul to us, you can get a free case of water." And I'm like, "Yeah, oh, that's going to make a lot of of people very angry." So and I've I've seen the comments too, but I'm like, ah, oh, you people need to lighten up. So on the heels of that, uh, they also they've been announcing, uh, like showing their appreciation for people who are renewing numbers and um, coming back for this season, giving a little bit of a, a teaser story based on what those people do and uh, or did last year, I should say. Yeah. Um, I've also seen them come out this, I think it was today with news that the mini stocks are moving to a 20 lap race. Uh, I don't know if it's for just the, the icebreaker or is it that, is that for the season? It, it sounded like from the announcement that it was for the season because they said for 2020 or in honor of 2020 or something to that effect. Oh, okay. So, so they're going to make the mini stock guys who I think, I think 15 laps is a, definitely a long enough race for them so they're going to make them so they're basically going to make them run five laps longer so they're going to run a longer race but i haven't heard them say that they're going to pay them anymore yeah well i mean (laughs) that's a whole other discussion right now but as far as running 20 laps 
I don't know how I feel about that. You and I were talking earlier, and I kind of agree with what you had to say about it in regards to they only really pull 12, 13 cars at this point, and hopefully, I mean, hopefully the car counts go up, but you never know with a division like that. They're kind of on an island right now. It's the only track around that you can run other than the tour. So you're just giving them five extra laps to get even more strung out in single file. Yeah, I mean, I, I've sat and watched a few mini-stock races because we know people who race those cars still. And, you know, I wanted to go at least watch something last year because usually when I'm racing there, I never get a chance to go watch because I'm usually working on my stuff or racing right. or sitting in line or packing my stuff back up. And it's usually at a point where I can't just leave and go watch racing. Or if it yeah. is, I can watch one race. So anytime I've seen the mini-stocks last year, it was... Uh, at least a couple races, maybe two or three. And I wasn't really, uh, and I this is not really knocking the division or, you know, trying to make light of a bad situation, but I didn't really see a lot of cars. I mean, there was like 12 or 13 cars at any given point, and I know there's a lot of contributing factors to that. And I'm not blaming anybody, but it's really, like, I don't think it's really worthy of bumping up five laps. You know, because no. when you watch, there's like three or four cars that are fast. And once they get strung out, it's almost impossible to pass unless you're extremely fast. Which, again, these guys are pretty well matched. And I think by like five laps in, the, the thing is nose to tail with that few of cars. And you're just watching like, okay, maybe he'll get a good run. And then you see somebody like bobble a little bit nope there goes that run i gotta wait four more laps for him to get his run back if at any point you're sitting there watching a division on the racetrack and you're sitting there wishing for a caution to close the cars back up they don't need five more laps that's pretty much every time i watched the mini stocks at thompson last year i'm like okay well can somebody in the back just kind of loop it here and come to a stop yeah, so exactly. so we can get a little bit of a caution so we can bunch it up because once they were bunched up they were pretty fun to watch but once it got strung out, it was like watching paint dry. It, it, when I go to a race, I, I have divisions at the races that I go to that I call piss break divisions. And as much as I love watching the mini stocks, like down at the Speed Bowl, that's one hell of a show they put on. Uh, but I just think Thompson's too big of a track for those cars, honestly. Yeah, I mean, unless they're pushing out really big amounts of horsepower, it's not the greatest track. Trust me, I've raced them. For, Let them run Pro 4 engines. That'll get entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it'll also double their already high engine bills, probably. <laughs> what do those things cost now? $20,000? I mean, come on. It's ridiculous with all that. Oh, my God. When I, when I left the mini stock division in 2013, that's, well, seven years ago now, um, an engine, if you wanted to win, like, weekly... You were spending ten to twelve grand on a four-cylinder engine, and yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think that's really changed much. I mean, it could be different, and I'm, some guys are different than others. You can shop around and get good results from other people. I never did, but all I ever did was break engines. I had three different engine builders when I raced mini stocks. One engine lasted the entire year, but was no better than an eighth-place car at any given time, no matter who drove it. And the other times, I've lucked into like a second place finish and a couple top fives, and then the next week it would throw the crank out the bottom of it. So it's like, yeah, I mean, 
if Jesse was right here right now, he would be calling me a communist for saying this, but I think it's high time that that division, because it's supposed to be geared towards beginners realistically, they need to go to a crate motor and Ford offers a good crate motor. Uh, same motor. I believe that they run in the NEMA lights. They don't make a lot of power. The only reason the NEMA lights are so fast is because they don't weigh shit, but is it, it, that it focus? the affordability of the division drastically, especially with the engines. Is it that focus engine? I think that's what it is. Yeah. I can't, I was just looking for, uh, the part number for it or what it's actually called. Um, it's, I had a discussion with it with someone a couple hmm. weeks ago, and I just can't remember the, the name of it, what they call it. But you'd run, you'd, like any other racers, you'd run into a problem where people are opening them up if they're not sealed from the factory, and they're going to do whatever they want to them, and then there's going to be allegations of cheating, and then people are going to leave, and then, like I said, you it's... Don't it's seals. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm totally against seals. Like when we had Patrick on the show. Just like he said, take it by the rule book. They they come with a build sheet and a manual to tell you what's in the motors. Take it by that. Yeah, well that's what I'm saying. You know, that's what I'm that's what I want. And but the thing is, is these engines are eventually gonna wear out. Do you rebuild them and spend the same amount of money as you would when you'd build a built engine, or do you just throw it away and get another one? You know what I mean? Because it if boring it out or doing something to it increases the power, then these guys are not even going to run them. They're just going to spend a whole lot more money, the guys who can afford to do it. And well, they're going to do, do, do that right off the bat, and they're going to make more power. And then, you know, like I said, the money's always going to win. You could also do it like they do down south in some places, too. You know, if you have a crate motor and it's got seals, well, you can weigh, weigh this much. But if you have a crate motor and you don't have seals, you can weigh this much on your right front corner. I think everything just boils down to a claimer rule. Just just I, buy I just buy each other's engines. There, done. We solved it. There we fixed it. We fixed mini stock racing. Yeah. Well, I got other opinions about claimer <laughs> rules that should be in place. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, should I go into the purse and this new sponsorship and making drivers run longer races without paying them more or should I just let this thing go? I think we should just let a sleeping dog lie. I think at this point everybody knows where I stand on it. I think everybody understands that I'm not going to do marketing for somebody else when I already pay a heavy enough price by working on owning, paying for, and trying to market my own vehicle. So I'm not going to go do the marketing for somebody else who supposedly has their own marketing department, and that's literally their job. If you want to be desperate enough to go do it, on your own and like be a sucker and have them like just laugh all the way to the bank, then fine, go ahead and do that. And I'm not saying don't race there. If you don't want to, this is a free country. You can do whatever you want. Oh crap. I just got into it. Didn't I? Yeah. Uh, well, (laughs) I don't hate anybody who does it and wants to help, but you're not going to see it from me. That's that's all my I'm only say. opinion and my only place of standing on that since I have no real skin in the game anymore. Um, to me, it's just a situation where if you love something, you got to give it your all, and if you don't want it to go anyway anywhere, you got to stand up and and do something sometimes. And even if it's something that you don't necessarily believe you should have to do or you want to do, uh, if you love something, you're not going to just let it die. So yeah, that's it's, that's it's such a 
Go ahead. Difficult thing. That's the catch-22 in the whole situation is that these guys know that the racers who really want to do it are desperate enough to do anything to do it because we're all idiots and we'll pay way too much money for stuff and we'll do things desperately to do whatever we want to do that we'll do that kind of work and they can sit back and basically take the benefit from it whereas they and then they can turn around and not pay anything and again still reap the benefits from it and then say oh well you guys don't make enough money so we don't have to pay you and then just wait down the line more tracks will follow suit and be like oh well we you know thompson did it so we can get away with it if we cleverly word it this way you know what i mean so i'm just not interested all right let's go to lap number two for lap number two this week we're going to update everybody on the new Gen 7 car, what are they calling it? Is it Gen 7 or is it Next Gen or Gen, what? I don't even know. They, I've, I've read Gen 7, so I'm calling it Gen 7. I think they're calling it the Next Gen. They, they, they've given up on numbers and they're just going to go with Next Gen? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, fair enough. So I can't blame them on that. So anyway, today they were running a test at California Speedway uh, in Fontana. There's a club, Auto Club Speedway. Auto Club Speedway, yes. The Auto Club doesn't sponsor us, but whatever. That's the name of the track. Um, with William Byron, uh, I believe they're likely testing spoiler combinations and horsepower differences, like high and low horsepowers and stuff. But this was, uh, I believe they're calling this car the P2, or no, P3, I'm sorry. Uh, they've updated it. They've, this is the third iteration of the prototype chassis that they're trying to figure out what they want to run next year. So this right. is, like I said, it's the third iteration of it. Uh, the, it differs from the last car uh, by, I believe they widened up the front clip to make better access for the engine because guys were complaining that it didn't leave a lot of room for working on, like, under the valve covers and, and generally around the engine. So they said, okay, well, we'll take it and we'll fix that. And I believe they also opened up the rear of the car where the tin work is to try to ease access of different suspension components. Like it makes it easier to change the sway bars in and out and it makes uh, spring and shock changes a lot easier. So right. that helps a lot. Um, again, this is all stuff that they need to figure out before they release it because they don't want to do that as they're going because then they look like chumps. But they want to, th- this is a big investment for them to do in the sport. So they need to get it right. So I, I appreciate that. Um, they did a lot of stuff to improve visibility as well. Uh, and today they announced that they are going to the single hub nut instead of the five lug nuts. And, oh my God, you should have heard Twitter or read Twitter and the people complaining about that. Oh my God. All the traditionalists are losing their minds. You know, I'm, I'm admittedly a traditionalist, but I'm, I'm very slowly kind of evolving and i say that you know to be honest i am it's a very slow evolution of myself and like it like i want to see steel bumpers on the car still i want to see the cars off the (laughs) ground i want to see them being four thousand pounds but that's likely never ever going to happen again i just like the nostalgia of it but and i hate playoff racing i hate it but i will not i will not say I'm never going to watch NASCAR if they get, if they keep doing this. I I'm, of course I'm going to watch it. You know. You sounded <laughs> just like Jesse. I yeah, well, I'm related. How's that work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've only spent 36 years hanging around with them. <laughs> oh. But um no, I mean, I'm not 
I'm not going to say, oh, well, I hate the championships. I'm not going to watch. Of course I'm going to watch. I've been watching people on my Facebook and Twitter feeds going, if they go to a single lug nut, I'll never watch another race again. And I saw somebody today that says, if they go to independent rear suspension, I'll never watch again. And I'm like, oh, boy, I hate to break it to you because they are. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, as much as I loved being a traditionalist, I, I can't. Uh, you know, because even NASCAR evolves over time. You know, all the Gen 4 cars that we, everybody was so fond of in the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s and such? Yeah, they looked like an ACT car. I mean, look at them. They didn't look anything like a street car. <laughs> yeah, I've pointed that out so many times to people on Twitter, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, you're you're this. When was the last time a street car had a live axle under the back end? Oh, unless it's a pickup truck or a cop car. Well, hell, even the cop cars have been IRS for years. I mean, the Crown Victoria, probably in the early to mid-2000s, but that's one car. Yeah. Not the, not to mention the Challengers or the Impalas or the Caprices or anything. I mean, not, not, the, not the old Caprices, like the early 90s ones. I mean, like the, the ones today, like the yeah. one on Faster Prom's YouTube channel. Um, But... You got to think about it in terms of what what is out there now and what's, you know, what's real what's in reality. When NASCAR started, they were obviously stock cars. That will never ever ever happen again. The only thing that they can really do is keep them looking as close to stock as they can. Have you ever watched a V8 supercars race from Australia? Absolutely. Aren't those the most awesome cars you've ever seen in your life? Yep. And are they there's a stock? Lot of things people don't know about them. Nope. They, they haven't used. I don't think they've utilized the stock chassis in those cars since the seventies uh, or eighties. I want to say. Maybe? No, I think I think very recently they just switched over to uh, a stock chassis in a V8 supercar. Maybe I'm mistaken. I'm thinking of something else. But yeah, they they've had to utilize a a, a chassis like a space frame style chassis on those cars. Yep. I mean, they're li- NASCAR is literally going towards the idea of a V8 supercar style car cuz they have the single hub, right, on a, a V8 supercar. They I'm not actually 100% sure on that. Actually, you know what me neither now. I don't think that really matters. We'll get into that later. But they have independent suspension. They have big V8 engines. They have sequential gearboxes, which, yeah, NASCAR's going to a sequential gearbox, by the way. It's actually the same one that's in the V8 supercars. Correct, which is which means it's been tested thoroughly <laughs> for years and years and years and really heavily test, uh, really heavily developed. So we're yeah. not just jumping in with both feet with absolutely no idea. If so, anybody wants to look it up, either it's a it's a six speed Hollinger sequential box. Oh, those are nice. Yeah, they're they're nice pieces. But again, uh, y- you can't really be a traditionalist anymore. If you want to be a traditionalist, go buy a sportsman. Right. Which is what I have. I can I can live out my traditionalism through that Better car. Than that, just say go to your local short track. Yes, go to your local short tracks. Everybody should be going to their local short tracks if they're a cup fan anyway. Because you will you'll be able to feed your traditionalist side because there are cars that race there with stock frames and stock chassis and you you know what? You might not see the best race out of them. Let's be fair. 
But NASCAR, I you know, I really don't mind this stuff. Well, let's go into that single hub nut. We had touched on that earlier this year saying, oh, you know, it would be a great idea for them to do that. And then they yeah. announced it today that they're going to do it. Obviously, they'd been thinking about it for a long time and they really don't listen to this show. So we had no part in that. But we like to toot our horn and say that we, at least we said something about it, which means we know at least a little bit what we're talking about. But I'm seeing people from NASCAR just lose their mind about this is the worst thing to ever happen in the world. Look, nothing's going to change. Pit stops are going to get a little bit shorter. That's about it. You're going to have the same number of guys going over the wall. They're going to hit the same side of the car as they used to. Then they're going to go around to the other side of the car in the same order as they used to. The only difference is you're using one nut instead of five. The reason... Go ahead. The, the the other thing I think a lot of people don't realize, too, is that these pit crews, these, these guys who do the tire changing, is so fast now. Uh, I saw a stat the other day, and I confirmed it with a friend of mine. Uh, they're hitting all five lugs in one second. Yeah, which is insane. That's astonishing. I tried that at the NASCAR Hall of Fame, but it didn't work very well because they really pegged the guns back really, really slow. Yeah. <laughs> but... With my dad, my brother, and myself, we did a two-tire change in 9.7 seconds, I think. Well, and that's going to be my other question about <laughs> the single, single lug also is, is NASCAR going to uh, give a spec gun out just like they do now? And if so, how, how many RPM are they going to limit it to? Because I know a couple of years ago there was instances of teams like I believe Hendrick was spending $40,000 on one single pit gun. I'm sure they will. To be honest, I'm sure that that won't change. I'm sure that there's still going to be a very strong need for specialized tire changers. Right. Um, you know what I'd really like to see, and this is going to piss off all the NASCAR insiders, is if you want to cut some costs, cut two more crew guys. Make the tire changer carry his own tire like they do in ISMA. Why not? <laughs> ISMA or IMSA? Yeah, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, I would Random love to watch road Isma cars at Daytona. In the road racing acronym, whichever one that is. IMSA. IMSA. Okay, them. But no, there's always, they said there's not going to be any other changes. Except at the end of the race, they're not going to do a lug nut check, and they're not going to find people, and they're not going to do anything about lug nuts anymore. Isn't that a positive? Oh, absolutely. That's a big positive. Well, was, the, the other thing, actually, that kind of makes me think is, how are they, when they do the tire change, are these lugs going to get like they are now? They're pre-glued onto the hub, so when you put the wheel on, it goes right on. Or do they actually have to physically pick the lug nut up and thread it on by hand again before they hit it? You've watched IMSA races, right? Yes. The lug doesn't go anywhere. It stays in the gun. It stays in the gun? Yeah. So how do you keep it from cross-threading? That's a really good question. I'm sure they designed that so that you wouldn't, because I think on the ends of the hubs, they're really kind of like, you ever see a lug, a, a coarse thread, like lug stud on like my car, or maybe you had them? Yeah, they got like a half inch shank on them that's no threads. Yeah, they have For that. Alignment. Yeah, they have that on those hubs so that you basically just throw the gun at it and it just goes on. I got you. Okay. Because when you take a lug nut and you got that big smooth end on it, it kind of lines it up, and it just goes straight on. 
Like I can just take my gun and just throw it right at my car and it just burns and lug nuts right on it. And it just goes straight on because it's such a coarse thread. But yeah, with that, I'm sure that that's how it works. Because I see guys just, you know, random volunteer tire changers during endurance races. They just zip the thing off, throw it right on there, and it goes right on. So I don't think they're going to run into any big problems with that. And if they do, they really, you know, gorillaed the hell out of it. So I think it's a good idea, to be honest. I don't really care about that. I don't think it's really going to slow down the pit stop a whole lot either. I mean, a really, really fast, perfect stop now is like 11.2 or something. They said, they said with an estimate, one of the engineers was questioned about it. He said it's probably going to bring the pit stop down a couple tenths of a second. You might see pit stops in the 10-second range. That, that's what I was thinking, 10.5 would be like a lightning stop. Yeah. Because I, I was just talking uh, with a friend of mine. You know him. Uh, Mr. Brian, mm-hmm. uh, I was just texting back and forth with him earlier about this because I was concerned that, okay, we're going to go to a single lug. Are they going to do air jacks? And he confirmed for me that that is not even a possibility. I'm glad that they don't because it's not necessary. You know, you have a it you, takes you the have personality a... out of it. I, I love watching the, I don't know, the synchronized dance of, of how they do the pit stop because it's crazy to watch what do they have seven seven guys or five guys i believe it's five with one for the driver or no five with gas plus the gas man yeah and maybe one for the driver but he doesn't do anything else yeah i don't know but it's just entertaining to watch them dance around each other and and not misstep every time and just run run into each other well i mean you're still gonna see it but it's just gonna be a little bit more streamlined per se yeah yeah, well, and you're like you said, you're not going to have any of the the issues with tire check, lug checks after the race, and all that. Because right now, these guys, you win a race, and you have to come down and do a lug check before you can go out and do a burnout and yeah. celebrate. It's yeah. absolutely silly. Right, and that's that's. I mean, it's going to simplify a lot. It's going to streamline pit stops. It's going to. I think it's going to cut a lot of cost for like lug nuts and other like gun essentials for the teams because it's going to simplify a lot. Um, oh, I heard, I heard these guys, these teams per car were spending something like forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars a year just in lug nuts. Dude, I'd be sweeping them up and like putting them in my pocket. <laughs> I'm cheap. That wouldn't let's, happen with me. <laughs> let's go to New Hampshire this summer. We can walk down pit road after the race. I don't know if I need that many. <laughs> <laughs> I already have a surplus, but unless they're like super lightweight, like titanium or something, sure, I'll go grab them. I don't honestly know what they are. I don't really care either, but like <laughs> it would really, we should just pick them up and sell them. That would be a great business. Like Doesn't 50- our rule book say no titanium parts on the race car though? Yeah, but that means they'd have to check for it. And if you spray paint them yellow, what are they going to do? Check for it? No. Ricky Brooks would find it. Ricky would, but he doesn't live up here, does he? <laughs> no, but he doesn't live half the places he uh, race directs. Yeah, but you don't come up here. So end of story. Anyway, more Gen 7 car notes um, besides the test today, which I haven't heard uh, I haven't heard how that ended because we're on the East Coast and they you know they're probably four hours behind. They're, it's probably still going on right now as far as I know because we're recording about 7:45 Eastern time. Um, they're, they're suspecting that the chassis manufacturer for all these cars might be decided. I know that it hasn't been announced yet. And it's nothing set in stone. It's all basically rumor at this point. But it's a company that's called Technique Inc. I think that's what it's called. And they're based out of North Carolina. 
Yeah, and I believe that's who it was. They're suspected to be the builder. And I know that NASCAR is kind of leaning towards one manufacturer that people buy cars from, and I'm sure that really ruffles a lot of feathers of other guys in the industry because they're going to have, like, flange-fit bodies and centralized chassis manufacturers and stuff. But I could get into a huge debate over why racers are mostly to blame for the cost of racing, and I think I have touched on that before. But... um it's owned. This is a company that's owned by a former IRL driver. I think his name is like Ronnie John Cox, and uh, they currently manufacture chassis kits and other like metal components for NASCAR and NHRA. So they're like a metal fab type of business mostly. Um, let's see. It's also been reported. I forget the guy's name, but he reported that this company just recently registered a new business with the North Carolina Secretary of State called Technique Chassis. LLC, and he also found job postings for like fabricators and welders in the North Carolina area. So that's kind of just you know you know how you can start putting the pieces together to figure out that there's a business coming. Yeah, kind of all adds up to the fact that this guy these guys are probably going to be the low bid. Yeah, I mean there was there was all sorts of talk about Delara, which was what the sports car, indie car, chassis builder being in the running to build these cars and I haven't heard anything about them. And I think they even said that they dropped out, right? Yeah. I think they're out of the running at this point. They were probably, I mean, I don't know if NASCAR really wants someone that they can't control. Uh, and, and I think that's what it comes down to. Also, I've heard that this new business, the technique chassis, uh, LLC, I believe that they've moved in like on the corner near Roush Fenway Racing and where the NASCAR, like around, literally around the corner from where the NASCAR R&D Center is. So that's another check mark to say, okay, well, yeah, these guys are probably going to be the ones manufacturing this chassis. I mean, it's it's not brain surgery. (laughs) It's really kind of, you know, the puzzle pieces are fitting here. Uh, I I think one of the, the cool things about this chassis is going to be that it kind of brings everybody close together. Whereas you don't need as many crazy engineers to try and figure things out. Cause there's only so much you can figure out now. Yeah. NASCAR says, Hey, you know, the, the, the step in like to get started cost is going to be a little steep, but once you get, it's like anything else in racing. Once you get the startup cost out of the way, it's kind of just like, it evens out. It it kind of levels off. It gets a little bit cheaper, and you, you just basically pay for what you need type of deal. They said it's going to be about 300000 a car, full race ready when you first get in. But then you've got, you know, you can basically interchange parts between cars. Everything's going to be super generic and, and centralized. Well, so, and these guys aren't also. They're also not going to need a super speedway car, a mile-and-a-half car, an intermediate car, a, a this car, a that car. It's the same car. Which is essentially what the ARCA series is doing now. Yeah. Because you can go run the local East-West ARCA series, or you could run the big series. Like, you could take a car and go race at a local track, and then you could take that same car and same engine and everything and go race it at Daytona because it's all the same bodies. Everything's the same. Yep. So, yeah, that's a, you know, I know it's going to piss off a lot of fabricators and a lot of people, but again the racers are to blame for a lot of these costs. So get the costs down, get more people back involved in it. You know, if we get more people involved in it, all those people who might have lost their jobs in racing would probably go work for another team, so they might not actually lose their job, right? Right. They'll just work somewhere else. And And I I think it's going to be interesting to see how many 
uh, new manufacturers we get. I've heard rumors of Honda, uh, Volkswagen. Uh, it just it's going to be interesting to watch and see what happens because you know bringing the cost down on anything will open some eyes. Yeah, I've also heard the Honda Volkswagen thing as well. Um, and I, you know, any manufacturer that wants to come in, fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, it would be a great thing. Uh, I heard that there were some other chassis manufacturers. Like I heard Joe Gibbs racing was one of the people in the bidding. And in my eyes, I think NASCAR probably won't allow them to run the chassis manufacturing process because, uh, of just ethical reasons. Like you don't want to have a, a set team building the cars, because that would just bring a whole new level of like, oh, these guys are getting their own cars and they're better and stuff. So it's way, it's way more ethically sound to have just an independent team building cars. And I'm not saying that Gibbs wouldn't do a good job. Again, it's just kind of you're walking into the ethics problem. So right. Um, they said that they're not going to see a new engine until about 2023. They're still tossing around the idea of electrification in some form. To be honest, uh, I'm I don't like it, but I don't really care either. Uh, I'm I'm past. Yeah, the, it is what it is. I'm just kind of past the point of caring. I mean, if you can watch an IndyCar race and love it, or watch a Formula One race and love it, you're still going to watch the NASCAR race. It's going to be the same thing. Who cares? You yeah, know? it's just going to be all I've heard is it's going to be pushed to pass. Yeah, that would be that would be kind of interesting, and I hope they bring a little bit more road course action into the NASCAR with these cars with with the new suspension setups and um, the new. Well, then- gated or uh what's it called sequential, sequential yeah sequential boom. shifter god i couldn't even say that but that... i'd love to see him go to detroit or uh the streets of st pete or something like that like one of those street courses i am not a proponent of a street course but Come if, on. if you can do it well then i will i will turn my opinion around but i don't think that these cars are going to be that great on a street course it would be fun to watch but i don't think you'll see any passing because if you'd... they do well on the Roval, they'll do fine on a street course, I think. Um, uh, as far I'll keep as the sweetness of the course, I'll keep the window open on that one. I'll 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 have my opinion. I'm not going to say I'll never watch again. No, I'll, I'll watch. <laughs> I'll watch. Um, Come on. For the last thing I'll talk about is the 2021 schedule notes. Somebody asked about scheduling today, and I believe they have a self NASCAR has a self imposed deadline of April 1st. For a 2021 schedule, um, they are hinting at some noteworthy changes coming about. Um, but for me, honestly, I think it's kind of early to be setting a schedule out. Like you just started the season, two months in, you're going to set the next year's schedule out. You can put that off and really put together something, you know, concrete, and still have plenty of time to get everything done. I mean, I know that if if they're going to run somewhere that needs a little bit of help getting ready for it and scheduling it and doing stuff, maybe they haven't been to in a long time. Then yeah, I could see that. But I mean, midsummer or midseason, I think that would be a good enough time. But I don't run the series, and I don't know anything about that. So you know, I'm just saying, speaking as a fan. You well, know, I think some of it comes down to also giving fans time to plan their trips. Yeah, that too. That's a, yeah, that's also a good good enough reason. So I don't know. I think with the with the new schedule, one of the things I like that I heard that they're doing too is um, they're only giving tracks one year contracts right now, which will allow them to make everything really fluid and change things around as they desire. Yeah. And the last note, uh, I guess they're going to have another testing date 
which will, they're going to test a bunch. I heard they're going to have at least two cars as well during the year, or even three. I'm not sure, but um, for the next testing date, there's going to be March 15th. It's going to be after the Atlanta race. I've heard a Ford driver is in the rotation to be behind the wheel because uh, they're going like Chevy, Ford, uh, Toyota, or whatever you know pattern they do it in. Yeah, um, I think that's what it was. They they've already had a. Uh, Penske driver, I believe Joey Logano already did it. So they're going to probably pluck from Roush or Stuart Haas, and they seem like likely candidates to put a driver in the car. And I, I think, honestly wouldn't be surprised to see uh, someone like a Newman down the road getting one of those cars. Yeah, because just because of his engineering background, it would be a really good idea. But right now is not a great time for him. So. No, not not. Uh, I don't know. He probably could get cleared in the next couple of months. So towards the end of the year yeah i mean it would really help to have an engineering mind in that car but um we have to have a clear mind in order <laughs> to get into a yes. car right now but yeah, yeah i mean i'd like to see somebody with a lot of experience get into it at a track like atlanta with a lot of bumps and a lot of uh, seams and a lot of speed so let's see i want to put kevin in the car i'd love to see what he can do with it Kevin would probably, if they're going to be at, at Atlanta, I think Kevin or Chase Elliott would be the two I would put in the car. But it's got to be a Ford driver, so I'm saying it's probably going to be Kevin. Uh, yeah, for, would, for a Ford driver, definitely Kevin. Yeah. So let's move on. I think I'm all done with this, so let's move on to lap number three. For lap number three this week, we're going to touch on the news that just released this week of Doug Kobe returning full-time to the NASCAR Whalen Modified Tour season for 2020. He will be defending his 2019 tour title, which was his sixth title in the series, and he will do it under his own banner. Uh, I didn't see this coming at all, but apparently he purchased one of Mike's... Uh, Mike's... What's his name? Mike Smeriglio. Damn it, I suck at this. Mike Smeriglio... Just MS3. The MS... He... <laughs> He purchased one of the MS3 cars from his old team last year. Apparently it was his favorite car. And he has retained all of his sponsors, pretty much all of his sponsors, with more to be announced. Uh, his whole crew, including his crew chief, and they're going to be run under the uh, very aptly named Doug Kobe Racing, and they plan on running the full 2020 Whale and Modified Tour season. Um, I know you went, th you, we were talking off air and you went through a whole list of his sponsors and I was like dumbfounded that he could, um, not only keep his old sponsors, which I mean, given his, you know, his repertoire and his, his history, obviously it would be very beneficial to stay on with such a successful driver, especially with the car and the crew that made it happen. Right. But like go through the list of, of the sponsors that he retained just so we have an idea of how much he's got going on for him the article says he has commitments from his primary sponsor make tools associate sponsors reynolds auto wrecking uh Mazalowski, if i said that right it's a miracle and additional sponsors to be announced yeah well that's good for him because now he probably doesn't even have to change his fire suit he'll probably just leave the ms3 little stitching on the collar that'll be fine he can use it as a way of, you know, <laughs> hearkening back to his past and thanking Mike for it. Um, yeah. But we were actually curious. Uh, Phil and I were curious off air, and we were looking back through uh, the history books and seeing if there were anybody 
on the NASCAR Whalen Modified Tour uh, champions list who was actually an owner-driver. And I went all the way back into the 60s, and I couldn't find one. I don't know if the information is you know completely correct or not. I mean, I went to Racing Reference, and I was shocked because I thought that this would be a little bit more grassroots. I figured somebody out there had to be their own owner. I mean, you look at... Uh, uh, Matt Hirschman, they own that family owns that car, correct? Yes. Uh, well, there's a, they have he has a couple cars that he drives. I believe the PD car is down in South Carolina. I don't know exactly who owns the one that he normally drives up here, but I believe it may be a family owned car. Well, I know Hirschman's. They do a lot of uh, chassis work and and modified, you know repair and, and other work for Troyer and stuff. So I figured that, you know, he and his dad would probably do a lot of that stuff themselves. But you go and look at other series like the modified racing series and such, and you're going to see a lot more like a family owned car. Um, I know you probably, I think it's what Sammy Ramu probably owns their own car. And uh, God, I'm, I'm really just struggling for names. Who, who do you think like Pastoriak? I know he owns his own cars. Like yeah, the they family. own their car. I know Sammy, that's a family-owned car. Tommy Barrett, when he comes out of hiding, he, that's a family-owned car. Um, I love his cars because they're really not clean at all. You walk up to it real close, and there's like, like condensation rust everywhere and kind of bubbly paint and little dents here and there, but the car freaking rips. It's so um, funny to watch. <laughs> I have affectionately dubbed that car Tetanus One. Uh, oh, but that I, car I'm, rips, though. I, yeah, I'm scared to touch the thing, though. It looks like my sportsman. Like, a little bit of rust here and there, some crappy paint here and there, but it'll still go. <laughs> Looks don't uh, get you checkered flags, so. That's what I subscribe to. When I go to New Hampshire, I'm not even putting a body on the car. I'm just hammering it out and slapping some spray paint on it and sitting the track. I don't care. Uh, the golf balls are dimpled because it helps them go through the air better, so maybe it'll work for your car. That's my theory. Uh, I think it <laughs> works pretty well, but it, I don't think it works for a modified. But anyway, like I said, we were looking back through all the history books, and we could not find anybody on the Whalen Modified Tour, at least, who was an owner-driver who'd won a championship, especially in the modern era. I mean, I'm looking at names, and none of them coincide with who's driving it and we'd had a debate about mike stefanik and my prevailing theory was that when he drove for cozella and all these other guys that mike would build the cars because that's you know he was good at it he had he was very smart that he would build the cars but he wouldn't technically own them and that's that's my theory i don't know what what the truth is i'm sure somebody out there has the truth but i don't he's not listed as the owner so yeah, that kind of that blew my mind. I I mean, I'm not as deeply rooted in local short track racing as a lot of people around here. And anybody who knows me, I really only showed up ten years ago. Um, but I always thought that Stefanik owned at least for a couple years that he won titles. I, I thought uh, I thought towards the end with the Burnham Boiler car, I thought that was a car he owned as well. And I I guess I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I looked on the racing reference page, and I see that he'd won two championships for Art Barry, and he won two championships for Peter Beal and Charlie Bacon, and he won 
for Jack Cozella and you know it's and and, and he won one for Eric Sanderson you know like Ryan Priest did in 2013 and I mean like I said you keep looking through all these names and you're like man none of these guys own these cars it's just yeah crazy. I was kind of blown away to see that it was just really crazy to me because I kind of figured that there was some kind of grassroots connection to you know a tour modified series but then i look deeper into it and it's really no different than you know upper level racing you got a car owner you got sponsors you got a big you know well i'd call it a big operation because i work out of what is literally a shed with no heat and you know i'm not like i said i'm not used to working with other people like a team that's just foreign to me so for <laughs> to see i, I just kind of thought that they had a little bit more of a grassroots feel but man I, I guess i'm wrong i mean you just again kudos to doug kobe for being able to um put together all that sponsorship and and be able to run his own car i think the only thing that we are kind of a little bit leery about is the fact that he only at this point is announced to only having one car and I mean that's not a huge deal, but it could be problematic down the line if something happens and he just needs something. But I mean I'm sure they'll figure something out, especially if the sponsor money comes through for him. Right. Well, and I think a lot of people are going to be curious to see what what happens if if he can return to where he was last year. Yeah. If you've got a big sponsor or big sponsors that are going to take care of a lot of the expenditures that he is going to need to put that car, you know, in victory lane. I think that he's going to, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I think he's just going to kind of pick up where he left off. I mean, he's got the same car, literally the same car, his favorite car. He's got the same crew. They've all worked together for like what? Six titles. Most of six titles, I should say. Um, He's got the same sponsors on the side of the car. They're going to have the same bankroll. And I mean, it's just basically instead of, Instead of Mike signing checks, it's going to be Doug signing checks. And Doug's not an idiot. He's done it before. And he's he is a grassroots racer by heart because he's always done something out of nothing. And he knows how to scrimp and save. That's a trait that never really leaves you when you're a grassroots racer. It's like the people who lived through the Depression in the 1930s, like all our old grandparents. And they're people who save and scrimp everything it's like why do you need this giant cast iron thing sitting in the garage well i need it for scrap metal just in case you know and it's like no you don't have to do that anymore but it's something ingrained in you to save money you know so again it never really leaves you so i i think he'll be good not only on the business side because of his previous experience with uh grassroots racing and trying to make stuff work out of nothing but also having the experience of having sponsorships and making deals. And uh, he's in the deal-making business. I think he's a realtor, right? Uh, I I don't know if it's actually he's a realtor, but I know he does flip houses. He does. He's, he works in real estate then. Yes. So he's, he's used to making deals and stuff. So that's all financial transactions and such. So, yeah, it's it, it, can, it can definitely have a carryover. So, yeah, I think... Um, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I bet you people are saying, oh, well, he's driving for himself. That's just going to be the death nail. But I guess those people don't really know Doug. I mean, I don't really know him, but I understand where he's coming from. I understand the mindset. So I think you're going to see, barring any... Doug is a racer. Yes, he's a racer. Barring any complete catastrophe, I think you're going to see him pick right up where he left off. And I'm I'm very confident in saying that. 
Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to see. I know everybody else isn't hoping to see it, though. Well, not Justin Bonsignor, maybe. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see, because they start the season in, what is it, two weeks in Myrtle Beach, correct? I believe so, yeah. I think this weekend, if I'm not mistaken, they're doing pre-tech. Oh, okay. Down at Thompson. All right, so um, are we going to be able to see that on NBC Sports Gold? Uh, that I'm not 100% sure about. I actually have not paid much attention to uh, what's going on with that yet. Man, i got to look on my app more often then. I, yeah. I like I like it, so I'll be able to watch from home, hopefully. So, all right. If there's nothing else, why don't we close this thing out? So that is our show for this week. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it greatly. If you have any feedback, hit us up by DMing us from either of our social media accounts or even our website. It has a form below which is technically my racing website. But anyway, I, I regress. You can find us on Instagram at Making Laps Podcast. You can find us at Facebook.com slash Making Laps Podcast. I am on Instagram at BrentGleason01. I'm also on Twitter at the same handle. You can, well, I, I hope to post more pictures of the progress of trying to get to the New Hampshire Motor Speedway race with the car. I haven't been very good about it lately because I've been thrashing to try to get that thing ready. But it's starting to come together. We're starting to hit our stride, so you can find our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, you name it. We're on everything, so whatever you feel like listening to podcasts on, we are on. If you need some hints or some links to playing platforms, you can find that at www.gleasonbrosracing.com. Phil, where can we find you at? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PJakes Racing. Jakes is spelled J A C Q U E S. Yes, because people will listen to how you say it and screw it up. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you all for listening. I greatly appreciate it. We will see you all next week. And until then, keep the dirty side down and stay out of the fence. <laughs>